Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the headline in last month's People magazine read, Aaron Rodgers says he began questioning his religion after his football team didn't make the Super Bowl this year. Just kidding. That's not exactly how the headline went. But I am obligated to get at least one Super Bowl dig on a day like this, and especially in a group of Lutherans this size, there's bound to be at least a few Packers fans. So I can scratch that off my list now. Actually, the Aaron Rodgers headline is a lot more serious, unfortunately. Perhaps you saw it too in your news feeds. It read, Aaron Rodgers says he began questioning his religion after joining NFL. Quote, there comes a time, unquote. The full quote from the future Hall of Fame quarterback comes from an unusually personal interview that the preferably private NFL superstar nevertheless granted ESPN News back in 2017. This somewhat dated interview is once again cycling through the news now because just recently he's also opened up on the topic of his forgotten Christian faith a second time this year on a podcast called Pretty Intense, which is run by his current girlfriend and former race car driver, Danica Patrick. To the chagrin of his own family members who maintain their Christian faith, Aaron Rodgers explains his comes a time quote like this. I think in people's lives who grew up in some sort of organized religion, there really comes a time when you start to question things more. It happens for some at an early age. Others, you know, maybe a little older. It happened to me six or seven years ago, unquote. One of the things that happened during Rogers' NFL early days that no doubt contributed to this newfound enlightenment, which would probably be seen more as a falling away from his faith through the family's eyes. In 2008, he met and befriended Michigan-based author and former pastor Rob Bell, who happened to be the invited speaker at a Packers inspiration rally. Rob Bell is featured in a 2018 documentary film entitled The Heretic. Now, whether the provocateur Bell is actually a heretic or not, of course, ultimately, that's up to God to judge. But the self-styled progressive Christian, as he prefers to go by, has gotten himself into all sorts of theological hot water with his own evangelical church family by championing such controversial views as there being no hell, that God will save everybody in the end, a position known as universalism, and finally, that any legal marriage, no matter the gender, should always be approved even by the church, despite all this controversy, or perhaps because of it. Time magazine had listed Bell as one of the world's 100 most influential people of 2011. Certainly, Rob Bell exerted a lasting influence on his new friend and former Christian, Aaron Rodgers. Could Rodgers and Bell, for that matter, come back around to their Bible-believing roots and once again embrace the faith of their fathers? We certainly pray so. And we have to hope so too, don't we? Because their story is our 
family story or the story of someone else's family close by, someone you know. Yes, sadly, this tale of forgotten faith is all too common today, isn't it? With all the dangerous influences out there in the world and all the temptations that come from without and within, falling away from the faith is an ever-present risk and reality. We don't like to admit such painful truths, but face them we must if we are to exert any kind of influence to keep it from happening. This is what the author of Hebrews is facing. It's about the peril of falling away from the faith that he now pleads against and preaches against to his listeners. And when I say the author of Hebrews is preaching against this, I mean literally the book of Hebrews is one long sermon. Most scholars identify Hebrews as an actual sermon preached in an actual New Testament church setting. And I should add that it was addressing actual brothers and sisters in Christ who knew the heartfelt pain of loved ones neglecting their saving faith. And furthermore, these were church congregants like you and me who found themselves in their day fearing for their own lives and feeling the temptation themselves to avoid persecution by denying their own Christian faith so that they could escape with their lives. Into this fragile mix of frightened, confused brothers and sisters, the preacher introduces our elder brother, Jesus Christ himself, the object of our faith. The first thing he points out in verse 14 is that Jesus Christ is indeed our own true brother who partakes of our same flesh and blood. Jesus is like us in every way, save without sin. He feels our pain. He knows our sorrows as a man of sorrows. Jesus saw his own disciples struggle with their faith and some of them fall away. He had dear close friends and family die around him. At some point, we don't know when, he lost his earthly father, Joseph. And we see Jesus weep at the death of Lazarus, one of his best friends. This latter loss gives us the shortest verse in the entire Bible, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. Just two words. Two words, but they say it all. He gets us. He understands our elder brother Jesus is genuinely one of us. He's been initiated and is well acquainted with grief and with human tragedy. We ought never to forget that in all of life's struggles and in all of our tragedies. This last week, of course, we were all witness to the horrible tragedy of Kobe Bryant's untimely death here in Calabasas along with his daughter and seven others riding in the commuter helicopter to Newbury Park, Thousand Oaks. This was another one of those uninvited, unwelcome reminders that each day we face death in so many ways that go unrecognized. We don't like to think about that. But this harsh reality is never avoided by the Holy Scriptures, which we gather to read each Lord's Day. God does not shy away from these very real human risks and realities in his word given to us. His word is given to 
comfort us even in the face of death, especially in the face of death. The word of God was made flesh. Jesus partook of our same flesh and blood, the scripture reminds us, so that through his death, verse 14 goes on to say, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death are subject to lifelong slavery. I don't think Kobe Bryant was afraid to die. Not that he would have ever wished an early departure from this world with so much ahead of him and his family still looking forward to. I'm just saying I don't think he was a slave to that fear. And I don't say that because of his fearless feats of athletic wonder displayed on the basketball court over all these years as a Lakers superstar. No. I say that because of what was less known of him. Less known but not hidden. A Channel 5 morning news reporter put it better than I could. Two days after his tragic death, local field reporter Wendy Birch commented, you know, a lot of people think of Kobe Bryant and they think his religion was basketball and the Staples Center, his cathedral. But I'm standing in front of Our Lady Queen of Angels Catholic Church in Newport Beach where Kobe came early two days ago on that tragic morning to pray like he often would come to do. And this was his church, and his religion was Roman Catholic. I find it strangely coincidental, too, that last week, when Deacon Bob was right up here preaching on an unusual text for last Sunday, that he chose Psalm 27. At that very moment, the angels around the city of angels were carrying Kobe's spirit up to the shepherd of his souls, the good Lord, leaving behind on that hillside Kobe's lifeless body with that very same Psalm 27 tattooed on his right bicep. Psalm 27. Those of you who were here last week caught that sermon, and if you didn't, it's a good one. You can go online to our website and hear it. But of course, Kobe's death had just happened and was not yet news, so Deacon Bob didn't even know about it when he preached on it. But Psalm 27 includes these Comforting words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Jesus, our elder brother, came that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Someone once told me, that it's the church's primary task to prepare people for death. Listen, no other institution on earth is going to get you ready to meet God. And everybody, everybody will one day meet their maker. You think that fact alone would pack out churches across the land Sunday after Sunday, but it ain't necessarily so. Yet the only way the church can accomplish this singular task is through the ministry of the head of the church, the one whom Hebrews calls our brother, Jesus, who lays down his own life for the church in order to present her before the Father, holy and blameless, without spot or blemish, and without fear of death, because it is he, Christ himself, who has prepared us. How exactly? Does Jesus, our elder brother, prepare us for and allay our fear of death? 
verse 17 in our Hebrews text tells us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation of, for the sins of all the people. That means Jesus, his own body of flesh and blood, just like ours, saved without sin, was offered up by himself as an acceptable sin offering to God in the place of all the rest of us guilty human beings. And his blood cleanses us all from sin. Now we who feared this judgment day, our own dying day, we can now stand forgiven in the very presence of God Almighty, washed of all our sins by our brother, the faithful high priest, who also willingly became the victim for us. The author of Hebrews says we can now, in fact boldly approach the throne of grace to obtain mercy in our time of need because our champion, Jesus Christ, whose full atonement forever turned away God's wrath against us. And to help convince us of so great a salvation, Jesus even offers us often his body and blood in the blessed sacrament of the altar. So after he partook of our flesh and blood, now we may partake of his body and blood and gain confidence and a clear conscience before God that ours indeed is this great salvation. This is our wonderful deliverance from slavery to the fear of death. God's word from our Hebrews text this morning is telling us that no Christian need fear death who has received the word made flesh. To as many as received him, to those he gave the authority to be called children of God. You know, many Christians, despite their sadness, are rejoicing at the news reports that Kobe and his daughter Gigi had received Holy Communion that Sunday morning before the crash. But it doesn't always work out that way. The devil, whose accusations of sin against us once seemed to stand so threateningly, now in light of Christ's sacrifice for all sinners, that devil himself has no place to stand. He's completely lost his foothold. He knows it. And his only strategy now against us is to get us to stop believing in that sacrifice for all sinners, to stop trusting in it. If he can attack our faith and get us to doubt and question the integrity of God's word, as he has done even with Christian-raised superstars like Aaron Rodgers, then he can enslave us once again to that fear of death. So much so, he hopes, that we deny our faith for fear of death. And that's what he was attempting to do to the Hebrew Christians back in the first century, to fall away. And that's why the ancient Hebrews, going all the way back to Moses' day, were admonished concerning this precious word of God to keep these words in your heart that I'm telling you today. Deuteronomy says, Do your best to teach them to your children 
Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as something special to see on your hand and on your forehead. Write them beside the door of your house and on the gates. Put the word of God everywhere in your life. And I suppose if you're Kobe Bryant, you even tattoo them permanently on your body in the case of Psalm 27. I certainly and sincerely hope those words of Psalm 27 were kept in Kobe's own heart and recalled in his last moments because how comforting they would have been. And surely how comforting they are to any of us living with the inevitability of our own last day before us. The closing words of that Psalm 27 say, I believe. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord in that last day say, My wait is over. My faith has become sight. Amen.